go through uh, this study together that I have titled the uh, uh, Alpha and Omega, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so today my goal uh, is to just kind of give us a, a good launching point into the book of Revelation. We will not spend a lot of time uh, reading chapter 1 today, even though I encourage all of you to begin reading the book of Revelation on your own as much as you possibly can. Just kind of saturate yourself in the book, uh, and you'll see why in just a minute, why there's a special blessing attached to um, that. And so uh, today, as I said, we're going to just do a, a very good job to try to get a, just get a baseline for this book. When was, when was it written? Who was it written by? Who was it written to? What is the purpose of the book? And then why is it unique when it comes to uh, all the other books of the Bible. And so I'm going to do my very best to get through this. Uh, guys, again, my challenge every week will just be able to know when to cut it off. And so I don't have a, I don't have a timeline uh, for this study. And so I don't know what that means. You know, I, I foresee us spending the better part of this year, if not even longer, in this book because there is just so much here to get into. And so uh, just a quick introduction. Uh, first thing I want to let you know, there are some binders up here, and here's how we're going to do the binders, okay? So these binders are for you and for your keeping. We're going to be giving out a different listening guide and a, and a small group handout every single week. And so if you don't have a binder, um, matter of fact, right now, if you would like to have a binder, it has your listening guide in it. If you're the kind of person that loves to fill in the blanks and and follow along right now, I'm going to ask some of our ushers, if y'all don't mind, would you just raise your hand? Let's go ahead and get if you need a binder, um, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got a couple over here, a few over here. If I could get a couple of you gentlemen to come up here and go ahead and grab those. Now, let me, let me tell you what, how we're going to do this. Th these binders are, they're free. However, if you're feeling generous today and you want to drop, uh, is that all we got? That's it. All right, three more. So, guys, we'll have more binders next week. I did, we didn't really know how many to expect. I think we printed over 110, somewhere around in there. So I think there was a few people over here that needed one. Uh, we will have more of these next week, and they'll be over here on the desk. So when you come in, if you don't have one, just grab one off the table. And, again, like I was saying, if you're feeling generous and you want to help offset the cost um, of the printing of these, uh, these, uh, this material and these resources, Please just put, you know, drop $5, $10, $15, whatever you want to do. You don't have to, you don't have to pay. It's, it is for free. But if you want to contribute, we would be gladly uh, appreciative of that. So you just drop it in the offering plate and just say, you know, uh, Revelation resource materials or whatever you want to do. And that way um, it will help offset some of the printing that we have to do. So uh, sorry for those of you who did not get your binder, but you still can take notes. And we'll have you some more binders for next week. All right. Jumping into the book of Revelation. All right, so we're going to do an introduction today. So here's my goal today. You can see that I'm going to try to cover author, date, who is the audience, what's the purpose of the book. We have a unique outline and structure of the book. Genre. Does anybody know what genre, what type of literature is it? It's very important that we understand the Bible is written in so many different types of literature. You have poetry, you have prophecy, you have narrative, you have history, uh, you have wisdom literature. You have all of these different types. It's important to know what type of literature you're, you're reading, specifically the book of Revelation, because it is a unique type of Jewish and early Christian literature called apocalyptic literature. It's very important that we need to know what that is to be able to study it and understand it. We're going to go into some of the challenges to this book because they are many, but there are some unique blessings associated with this book. And then hopefully before we go today, I'm going to give you something to take home that you can put into practice and use for God's kingdom as his witness. So let's get into the author and the date of the book. This book, the book of Revelation, was written by a human author. We're going to see in a minute, but it was also written and given by a divine author. So the who is, who is the human author of the book of Revelation? Well, if you have your Bible, just go ahead and flip to Revelation chapter 1. We'll just kind of jump off there. If you have a copy of God's Word. Revelation 1. First one says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, okay, which God gave him to show to his servants, that's plural, that's the word bond servant, doulos, bond slave, 
to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Okay, so who is John? This is the human author. It says, John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Let's talk about John for just a second. This, by all accounts, is the apostle John. John was a unique individual. By everything that we can ascertain from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the Gospel of John, which was also penned by the Apostle John, John was Jesus' very best friend on earth. See, guys, sometimes we, we remove ourselves from the, from the context, the historical context. We have to understand that when Jesus called his disciples unto himself, guys, they spent every single day, basically, of their lives together. They laughed and cried and played and worked and served and taught and studied and prayed and they lived life together. They reclined at the table together. We know John was the one that, that always refers to himself as, as the disciple. We'll see here in just a minute, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he would recline at the table of Jesus. He would lay his, his head right there at the, on, on, the, on the chest of Jesus to hear his heartbeat. They were so close. They were intimate friends, brothers. So close. And we need to read the book of Revelation in the context of understanding that this is John who lived his life with the Messiah. And then after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, we have to understand that there was a period of decades when John missed his dear friend. He missed Jesus. That was his friend. It was his best friend. And here we're going to see that on the island of Patmos, here we'll see in just a minute, that Jesus comes and reveals himself to his friend again. Okay? And this is very, very important. So if you have your listening guide, um, let's, let's jump in. The very first uh, item on your listening guide, and we're going to get into more of this uh, a little bit later, but I'll just go ahead and give you the blanks if you want to fill in the blank. The book of Revelation is the ultimate unveiling of Jesus Christ in all his glory and the climactic culmination of this present age with his triumphant return to earth. Okay, so we're going to get into that here in just a second. So that's the book of Revelation is the, is the ultimate unveiling of Jesus Christ in all of his glory, the climactic culmination of this present age with his triumphant return to the earth. Okay, so let's go back to John. John was known as the beloved disciple. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit as the human author of the book, but Jesus Christ, as we'll see in just a minute, is the divine author of the book. So a little bit of a background on John. We know John was one of the 12. He was one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, along with Peter and, uh, and James. And so they had a very unique relationship to Jesus. John also penned the Gospel of John. He penned the three epistles with his name, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then, of course, we know that John penned the book of Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, of the Holy Spirit. Now... He was called the beloved disciple. He was the one whom Jesus loved. And that's an interesting way to put it. But again, it, it shows and, and, it, and it reveals the intimacy that they had, the unique bond that Jesus and John had uh, while Jesus was on earth during his earthly ministry. Okay, He was included, as I said, in the inner circle. John was one of the three that was brought up on the mountain of transfiguration. We see that in Matthew chapter 17. Look, not all the disciples got to see Jesus in his glory on the mountain of transfiguration. John did. John was there as one of the few disciples who got to see the raising of Jairus' daughter. That's Matthew 9. He was there with Jesus. Jesus didn't teach all of the disciples the teachings of the uh, end times and the Olivet Discourse. He did bring a smaller group of his disciples to himself to give them some of the details about his coming and his, second, uh, his return and his second coming. We see John was there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, of course, you see John at the foot of the cross. Remember, when Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified, what happened to most of the disciples? They scattered. They abandoned Jesus, not John. John was right there. He was right there at the foot of the cross. And remember, Jesus looked at John as he's hanging on the cross and being a good son that he is, knowing that Mary was a widow. He looked at John, and what did he say? Behold the woman. What did he mean? Take care of my mama. Please take care of my mother. 
So John was entrusted with the care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So this kind of shows you again how intimate their relationship truly was. Let's talk about John's life after Jesus, when he, after the resurrection, the ascension. Uh, John was, uh, by church tradition and what we can learn from, ch- from church history, John was a martyr. History says that, you know, all of the disciples and the, most of the apostles, if not all of them except John, died a martyr's death, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. John was no different. We believe that under the reign of Roman Emperor Domitian, Domitian, he was sentenced to death. Tradition has it that they tried to uh, throw John in a pot of boiling oil. He survived somehow. We don't know all the details. Again, some of this is is church history, church tradition, so we don't know exactly 100% with accuracy. But by all accounts, they tried to kill John. He survived, and so Domitian was so upset, or the, leader, the Roman uh, leaders were so upset with this fact they couldn't kill the guy, they said, okay, well, we're just going to banish you to the island of Patmos, which is where John spent many years. Patmos was a small island. It's only 6 by 10 miles, very small island. It's right off the coast of Turkey, 25, 24 miles from the coast of Turkey. We do know from church tradition and church history, John would have been exiled there under Roman Emperor Domitian. As I said, this is somewhere between 80, 81, and 96. Domitian was the brother of Titus. And if you know anything about Titus, Titus was the Roman general who led the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD, destroying, burning the city, and and, uh, they burned the temple there to the ground. And so we believe that the book of Revelation, most conservative scholars believe that the book of Revelation was the very last book written in the New Testament. It is the seal. It is the culmination. It is the, it is the, the exclamation point on all of prophetic scripture, on all scripture. And so we kind of have that window. Most people believe that John wrote this somewhere in the mid-90s A.D. Okay, so this is 20 or so years after the destruction of the temple. Now, Patmos is a little bitty tiny island. I don't know if you can see that there. So this is a, this is a, a map of the seven churches of Revelation that we'll, we'll dive into in depth in weeks to come. But if you see the, the, the Aegean Sea right there off the coast, of which is what modern-day Turkey, there's a little bitty black dot up there, and that is the island of Patmos. You could go there today. It's actually a very beautiful uh, place there in the Aegean Sea and Mediterranean and so that's where John would have been bound as a, as a slave. He probably would have done slave labor on that island for years. Brutal conditions. Uh, a lot of people did not survive. But legend has it that John did survive. And we'll find out later that we think he ended up making his way back to Ephesus where he spent the last of his years there with the believers in Ephesus. So we'll get into that later when we look at the church at Ephesus. Now, John was the human author. But with all scripture, there's also a divine author. You know, the, the Bible is unique in that it has both divine and human authorship, okay? So God used men in their own uh, context and they're using their own personality and their own writing styles and everything else in between. And yet we understand the, the uh, doctrine of inspiration is that all Scripture is breathed out by who? By God, and given as inspiration. And so this is what happened when we see that in Revelation 1, it says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God gave it to him to show to his servants the things that must t- take place. And then he, Jesus, made it known by sending his angel to the servant, to his servant, John. So God gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to the angel, and the angel gave it to John. There's this process of a transmission here. And so what do we know about the divine author? We know that in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is called the Word. The Word was made flesh. He made us dwelling among us. So this is the same Jesus. Uh, Revelation 19.10, which I believe is one of the key scriptures in the whole book, it says that the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me give you a clue, a key right now. You ready? You're reading through the Old Testament. You come up upon a passage that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's a little bit vague. It's it's a little ambiguous. It's a little confusing, right? Let me give you a clue. Let me give you a a significant key, how to interpret that scripture. Put Jesus in the middle of it. 
Just say, how does this scripture apply to Jesus? How does Jesus answer this question? Where does Jesus fit into the scripture? I promise you, you will begin to help open up scriptures like never before because this testimony of Jesus is the spirit, it's the essence of all of prophecy. And so Jesus told uh, the leaders in Israel in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, but it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus is always the central figure in all of Scripture. And, of course, 2 Peter 1 says that men who were moved by the Holy Spirit were the ones who wrote the Scriptures so that no prophecy of Scripture is determined by our own interpretation, but the Holy Spirit carried along the men of God and inspired them to write every word according to the will of God. And so that's what we see here in the book of Revelation. So uh, the next part that I want to share with you this morning is, is very important, okay? The book of Revelation was signified, okay? Now, I'm reading out of the ESV, but I put this up on the screen out of the New King James, and I encourage you guys to use every, all different translations of, of, of Scripture, okay? You know, look at all of them. But in the New King James, look at what it says in Revelation 1, 1 and 2. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show to his servants things that must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it. Interesting word. He signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. What we're looking at here, guys, is that the book of Revelation was signified to John using symbolic imagery and prophetic patterns that already have been clearly established in Scripture. Let me say that again. The book of Revelation is unique in that it is given to us through symbolic imagery and prophetic patterns. But the good news is, is that we're not left alone to try to figure all this stuff out. It's already been given to us where? Right here. The Bible, the best way to interpret the Bible is by the Bible, interpret Scripture with Scripture, guys. This is a very critical component of your Bible study, of any type of preparation to know what the Word of God teaches. You interpret Scripture with Scripture, and that's exactly what happened here in the book of Revelation. So let's talk about what this means. We're going to talk about code for just a second. This word in Revelation chapter 1 is the word Simos, simos, it's a Greek word that means a sign or a signal or a symbol. And what it means is, guys, is that the Lord took the, the end times, the, the, the final culmination of, the, of this present age, and he gave it to John sim, through symbolic imagery. We're going to see as we get through the book of Revelation, you're going to see it's almost like this. It's almost like the Lord set John down in front of a flat screen television and he pushed play and a movie played before John's own eyes and as much as John could take in he's trying to take in all this information and then when it got to a critical point in the story the Lord pushed what pause he like to push his pause he's okay let me explain what you just saw now let me go into more detail about what you just saw and once John kind of received more revelation and he received more detail it's like the Lord did what Let's push play again. All right, let's, let's, let's watch a little bit more. That's kind of what you're seeing here. And it's interesting because it talks about all that John saw with his eyes. And so I do believe that John saw the vision of the book of Revelation and he had to signify it. In other words, it was given to him in symbols and imagery and patterns and all this kind of stuff. And that is how he wrote it down. And that's why many people are a little bit intimidated by this book. But I'm going to give you encouragement today. You don't have to be intimidated by this book. Now... The Bible as a whole, not just the book of Revelation, but the Bible as a whole, from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, the whole thing, guys, listen to me, it is a fully integrated message system. Every single name, every place, every number, the structure of the sentences themselves, the patterns that you see in Scripture, guys, everything that you read in Scripture is put there by God intentionally. Amen. Nothing is in the Scripture by mistake. Right. 
And there are even underlying layers upon layers upon layers of truth and different uh, uh, information that we find in the scriptures, even when you get into the original languages. I mean, guys, it is amazing when you really dedicate and devote yourself to the study of God's word. You will find it to be a fully integrated message system. And so Revelation is written in a way that is spiritual code. It is written as spiritual code. This is why a lot of people are intimidated by it. The good news is, is that if you're here today and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then the author of Scripture lives in you, which means that you can what? Understand it. God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could understand and have wisdom in these mysteries that we read in the book of Revelation, the prophetic mysteries that everybody else gets so confused about and so worried and anxious about, guys. No, we have the Holy Spirit to interpret for us. And it's a blessing. And so Revelation is in code. Every code, every symbol is already explained. And that's why every other book of the Bible is necessary to understand the book of Revelation. You've got to have a working knowledge of the whole book, guys. And you're going to see that more and more as we go. And so as I said before, these are the things that you'll see in the book of Revelation. Letters, the different language, symbols, numbers are important. We'll get into all the heptatic structure of the number seven and how it it is prominent in the book of Revelation. It's amazing how many sevens are in the Bible, much less the book of Revelation. The names are there, the word pictures, there are allusions, idioms, there's typology, prophetic patterns. All of these things are very, very important. Let me give you a couple of statistics. Revelation contains 404 verses with over 800 allusions from the Old Testament. Now, does that make you wonder why so many people avoid or are confused by the book of Revelation? Because we don't know our Old Testament. By and large, I hate to say it, but the church, by and large, has abandoned the Old Testament. Uh, Like one of the prominent pastors down in Georgia, I won't mention his name, who recently was caught saying that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. There are many people in the church that believe that the God of the Old Testament is not the same God that's revealed by Jesus in the New Testament, which is bizarre to me. Because when you read the book of Revelation, there's not a clearer picture of the coming judgment and wrath of God than it is revealed to us in the book of Revelation, which is why so many people struggle with the Old Testament. Because they're like, man, he's a mean, there's a mean God in the Old Testament. We have a nice God in the New Testament. No, guys. One God, one book, one revelation. He's the same God. But we need to have a good grasp of our Bible in order to understand it. Did you know that the Old Testament has 1,845 references to Christ's rule on the earth and 17 Old Testament books give prominence to the day of the Lord? In the New Testament, there are 216 chapters in the New Testament. Excuse me. Of the 216 chapters, there are 318 references to the second coming. It's mentioned in 23 of the 27 books. Now, this last one's what's most interesting to me. For every prophecy relating to the first coming of Jesus, there are eight that deal with his second coming. Which means, I'm not here to take priority and preeminence away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the centrality of the gospel. But if the Bible treats the second coming of Jesus Christ eight times more than the first coming of Jesus Christ, to me, that sends us a message that it's probably pretty what? probably pretty important and yet too many people ignore it let's talk about original audience so here's the transmission of the book all right all this stuff hopefully will be helpful for you guys as you study we know God is the author ultimately of the book of revelation he signified it remember he put it into symbols He put it into allusions and word pictures and all the things that we're going to get into, all the fun, nitty-gritty stuff that everybody's excited about, right? 666 and the 144,000 and the mark of the beast and the mystery of the harlot of Babylon and all all these mysterious things that we all like to get into. But this is all intentional by the Lord. As he signified it, he gave it. To, to the Lord, he gave it to the angelic messenger who delivered it to his servant John, 
in a vision. But don't miss this. Who is the audience? Now, John was the original recipient of the book of Revelation, and then he was to give this to the seven churches that are in Asia. We see that in verse 4, Revelation 1-4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And he tells him again in verse 11, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. But don't miss this. Look at what it says in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to who? His servants. That's the word doulos. This is the lowest of low representation of a bondservant, a slave in the New Testament era. Okay? Here's what I want to challenge you with today. This book was written to the bondservants of Jesus Christ. Who does that include? If you're here today and you are a faithful believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you are his doulos. You are his bond slave. He is Lord. You are his servant. So guys, this book was written to all believers. We see that. It was initially written as the letters to these seven churches, even to the seven angels of the seven churches, and we'll talk about who they are in in, uh, weeks to come. But this is what's most important, guys. The book of Revelation was intended to be circulated, copied, read, studied, and applied by all believers for all time, and especially for the church that will be alive in the last days. There will be a... The church, the believers who are on the earth, what I call the the last generation, and the book of Revelation will come alive like never before to the last generation that other generations prior to us could not fully grasp and understand the things that are written in the book of Revelation because it just wasn't time yet. The, The unveiling, the unfolding of history just hadn't happened yet, guys, but there is a living, a generation which I believe is alive today that will be able to read the book of Revelation and be able to live it out in real time, and it will come alive like never before. And that's what I believe the letters to the seven churches are really all about. Yes, it was to those literal churches in the days of John. Yes, there are literal churches that were to receive these letters. But beyond that, it is to the church in general who will be alive to see all of these things take place. That's what's most important, okay? And then finally, what you'll see is that over and over and over again, you're going to hear this in in the book of Revelation. He that has an ear, let him what? All right. Grab your ear. Do you have an ear? If you have an earlobe, that means the book of Revelation is for who? It's for you. If you have an ear... This book is for you to hear. And that's why us positioning ourselves before the Lord in a a posture of prayer and humble meditation on the word of God saying, God, I want to understand. God, I want you to reveal truth to me. God, I want to have wisdom in interpreting this book. And so, Lord, I have an ear. Give me ears to hear and a heart and and a mind to understand and to believe this book. So, guys, this is very, very significant. It is a book for us. It is a book for this day, right now, especially with everything else that we have going on in our world around us. And we'll get into many, many uh, weeks to come. Now, let's talk about purpose. I tried to kind of give us a, a summary, but this is what's most important. When you talk about purpose, what is the purpose of the book of revelation. I'll put it to you real simply. You ready? It's to glorify Jesus. If you love Jesus Christ, you will love the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is the unveiling and the glorification and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It is the fullness of who he truly is in all of his splendor and glory. That is what the book of Revelation is all about. So it is the unveiling, guys, and we'll see that a little bit more in a minute. And it is the triumphal, it it describes the triumphant return of Jesus Christ to the earth. 
It is the unsealing and the fulfillment of all prophecy. So everything that the prophets wrote in the book, everything that has been written from Genesis to this book, to the book of Revelation, this is the unsealing. It is the, it is the disclosure of it all, where it all is revealed. It all comes together. It is the climax of redemptive history. Okay, guys, it's the culmination. It's the consummation of God's kingdom on earth. It, it is the universal convergence of all forces, both good and what? And evil. I like this word convergence. I think if there's anything that describes what's happening in our world today, it is that there is a convergence. A convergence is when you have different um, parallel lines or sometimes they're converging lines, but they're all headed to the same what? The same point. And so you have this from the prophetic word, there's a convergence. In geopolitical, in, in politics, in government, there's a convergence. In culture, there's a convergence. In technology, there's a convergence. In medical, science, genetics, in artificial intelligence, there's convergence. There's convergence in everything that we see that's going on around us in our world. Economically, all of these things, they're what? They're headed to the same what? To the same point. Amen. And guys, that point, what we call the omega point, is the revealing of Jesus Christ when he comes, when he returns to the earth. And so, guys, when you talk about the purpose of this book, it is to get our minds and our hearts prepared for that day when Jesus comes and everything is, con is, is converging to that point. It is the end of this present evil age. Can I get a hallelujah? Amen. I'm so ready for the end of this evil age. No more corrupt politicians. No more sin and sickness and death and human trafficking. You know, I mean, it's just like all the things that we groan about and we, and we, we suffer through is finally going to be brought to an end. The end of the present evil age. I cannot wait. It is the expression of God's final wrath and judgment. That's what the book, book of Revelation is all about. And it is the final salvation and reward of the saints. As we read through the prophets and we start looking at the book of Revelation, there's always two things that Jesus says. I'm coming with reward and reckoning. I'm coming with my reward for my people, and there's, a rec there's recompense for the people who have rejected me. That's what Jesus is bringing with him, reward and reckoning, reward and payment. And so that's what the book of Revelation is all about. Let's look at a few scriptures here together. Um, pay attention. He says, these things must shortly come to pass. Now, let's bear in mind, this was written around 90 A.D. Hey, guys, that was like... 1900 and some odd years ago. Think about that. But Jesus told John that it must shortly what? Come to pass. And again, this is one of those mysterious things that we kind of look at. Our, what, it, what are the last days? Because when Peter got up to preach in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when he saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came and fell on the early church, he, he linked that event with a prophecy in the book of Joel chapter 2, and he said, these are the what? Last days. And so Peter, to some extent, understood that the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit was the initiation of the last days. That was almost 2,000 years ago. So are we living in the last days? Absolutely. We've been living in the last days, according to Peter, for 2,000 years. However, we understand that there's the last of the last days. There's the end of the age. There's the, there's the, it's, it's the last days. It's the last of the last days. And so we're, we're culminating to that point. And so when he says these things must shortly come to pass, he also repeats it there in verse 3. He says, for the time is near. The time of the Lord, the, the return of the Lord is at hand. The time is near. Part of this is also understanding time through God's lens. We live out time chronologically. We're bound in this space-time continuum. Everything is happening in a chronological sense. In, in God's time frame, everything is present tense. So with the, with the Lord, a day is but what? A thousand years and a thousand years is but a day. So from the Lord's perspective, it has been something that has happened very, very quickly. From our perspective, we've had to wait just a little while. Look at the next verse. This to me, in, in chapter 1, is just kind of the, this is kind of the, the overall summary of the book of Revelation. Revelation 1-7. Behold. What does it mean to behold? Does anybody know? When, when the Bible says behold, I mean, that's an old, old word. We don't use, you don't walk around and say behold. 
<laughs> we don't talk like that anymore, right? What does it mean? Hey, look. Hey, guys, look over there. Behold, stop what you're doing. Pay attention and look. This is what Revelation 1-7 says. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye shall see him. Is that a secret event? If something, if the, if the heavens are ripped open and the skies roll back like a scroll and Jesus starts to descend on the clouds in power and great glory and the Bible says that every eye will see him, how can that be secret? That sounds pretty visible to me. That sounds pretty public to me. Amen. This is the culmination. This is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth and power and great glory. Every eye will see him and even those who pierced him. Who pierced him? This is a reference to Zechariah 12, which is the Jews, the leadership of Israel, turned Jesus over to be what? Crucified. They rejected the Messiah from a leadership perspective in the first century. And it says, even those who pierced him. In other words, the leadership of Israel will look upon him and they will what? And all the tribes of the earth will wail. They will mourn. They will cry. They will weep on account of him. Even so, amen. And then... Look at what the Lord says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then at the end of the book, Revelation 22, it says, Behold, I am coming soon. There's that word again, right? Soon. What does that mean? It means soon. And look, look what he says. I'm bringing my recompense with me. You know what that is? Payback. Payback. All the years that we have waited and waited, how long, O Lord, until you avenge the blood of the saints? I'm bringing it with me, is what Jesus said. And to repay each one for what he has done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, this is Jesus talking. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Hey, this is our application. This can be your application for this study right here. Let's lay aside all the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that he has set before us. How do we run the race? We're looking to who? To Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. That means he's the what? The beginning and the end. We come to Jesus at the beginning of our journey of faith, and he's the end goal. He's the one we get at the end. And as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that's why I love the book of Revelation, because it keeps us and gets our hearts and minds and, and eyes focused and fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a day when he's going to get back up. Right now, he's seated. He's at the right hand of the Father, the highest place of authority in all of the universe. It's coming a day, guys, when he's going to what? He's going to get up, and he's coming. And then finally, Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the what? End. From the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Hey, guys, who's going to stop the book of Revelation from unfolding the way that it's written? Nobody. See, this is, this is one of the things that, that, that is a little bit of, uh, it causes a little bit of tension in the life of the believer. Because if you look at the prophetic word and you look at the scripture and what has been written and you know the way that it has to transpire, it has to play out the way that God has written it, right? That's the way the prophetic word is, is, is given to us. Well, if we look at the word of God according to what the Bible says and how these things must play out, then it's hard to get excited about the future. Because we know that there's some very, very difficult times right around the corner. And that's why if we let those things consume us and overwhelm us, guys, it will make us discouraged like with dissipation. 
That's why we have to rise above the circumstances of this life, the persecution, the tribulation, all of the difficulty and distress that's coming upon the world in these days. And the Lord is telling us to lift up our eyes to who? To Jesus. Because when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we rise above that and our joy is established and the joy of the Lord is our strength and we do not fear. I do not want you to fear. And you're going to see that here in just a minute. All right, outline and structure. In Revelation 119... The book of Revelation is unique in that the Lord gives us an outline. Okay? Look at what it says in Revelation 119. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, the things that are, and those things that are to take place after this. Guys, guess what? That's the outline to the book of Revelation. So these are, this is kind of the basic structure of the outline of the book of Revelation. Jesus provides the outline of the entire book along with a special blessing and a serious warning, okay? All right, so he said, write the things that you have seen. That's basically chapter one. John has a vision of Jesus, okay? Then he says, write the things that are, that's present. These are the letters to the seven churches. Then there's a, chapters four and five is kind of this amazing throne room scene where John is caught up into heaven, just like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Paul and um, who else had a, an experience in the throne room of God? I know those, those did. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Paul, I think there's, there's a few more I can't think of right now. But he was caught up and had a, a, an experience, a vision of the throne room of heaven. That's what chapters 4 and 5 is all about. And then it tells us verse, chapters 6 through 22 basically are the things that are yet future. Okay, And that's basic outline and structure of the book of Revelation. All right, let's talk about genre. This is one of those little nitpicky things that kind of gets on my nerves, but I think it's important that we establish it. Guys, listen to me. It is not Revelations. We're not studying the book of Revelations. We're studying what? The Revelation, singular, of who? Jesus Christ. The word Revelation is the word apocalypsis. This is a Greek word that means to unveil, to disclose, to uncover, or to reveal. Let me share with you a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to share all these, but I do want to share a couple of them. This is the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what it says. It says, So that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word apocalypsis. It is the word revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me share this one. 2 Thessalonians 1. Listen to what it says. This is some of the most powerful uh, scripture in all of the Bible. It says, <clears throat> I'm going to pick up in verse uh, 6. Since indeed, 2 Thessalonians 1, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Guys, this is a word that is specifically used in the scripture about the unveiling, the disclosure, the uncovering, the revealing of Jesus Christ. And that is why it's called the revelation singular of Jesus Christ. There are not multiple revelations of Jesus Christ. He's coming. He came the first time. He's coming a second time. That's it. First coming of Jesus. We're waiting for what? the second coming of Jesus. So this is what's interesting about this kind of literature. Now let's talk about apocalyptic literature. What is apocalyptic literature? It's a type of Jewish and early Christian literature that conveys divine visions or revelations from God about the imminent coming of the end of the age and the advent of God's kingdom. It uses mysterious symbolism, metaphors, allegories, and even bizarre imagery to communicate literal truths concerning the prophetic Word, Okay, and that's very, very important that we understand that. 
God uses these symbols and images, guys, to convey literal truth. So here's the question that you get all the time. Do you take the Bible literally or is it symbolic? What's your answer? Yes. When the Bible is symbolic, it is symbolic, yes, but it's also symbolic to be interpreted and understood to convey a literal truth. We're going to see that here in just a second. I'm going to show you a a video here in just a second. But there's some other prophets and other passages in the Old Testament that write in this apocalyptic style of literature. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, uh, Amos, Zechariah, guys, they all write in this apocalyptic style of literature. You need to know what kind of literature you're reading in order to understand the Bible. Now, let's get into the interpretive challenges of the book of Revelation. These are many reasons why people avoid the book. Number one, it just makes them afraid. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and they said, I just don't want to read the book of Revelation because it what? It scares me. There's no reason to be scared, guys. Who wins? Jesus wins. Don't be afraid. There's often confusion and frustration. I'm I'm here as a pastor teacher to help eliminate the confusion and frustration. I'm going to teach you and give you tools to learn how to interpret the book and be able to interpret Scripture with Scripture and know that God has provided everything that we need to understand the book. He wants you to understand this book. He wants you to read it. He wants you to understand it, okay? Here's another big reason why people avoid the prophetic word. Because of all those guys and those YouTubers out there who rate 88 reasons that Jesus is going to come in 1988. Big book that came out years ago. 88 reasons that Jesus is coming or the rapture will take place in 1988. Did it happen? Negative. Oh man, we just lost more credibility with the church and with the world because of these people who set dates and make false predictions. And so a lot of pastors, they want to distance themselves from these date setters and these kooky, you know, conspiracy guys because they've proven themselves time and time again to be false. So a lot of pastors say, I don't even want to go there because then I'm going to lose credibility, guys. But that's not a reason for us to avoid the book of Revelation. Here's the next reason why we avoid it. Biblical illiteracy. We just don't know our Bibles. The next one is that we're just intellectually and spiritually lazy. Y'all know that? It takes a little bit of effort to dig into the scriptures and really try to read and study and prepare yourself. So guys, if you're entering into this study and you're going to be intellectually or spiritually lazy, it's probably not going to go very well for you. This is going to challenge you and require you to really dig in and and, and plant your feet and search the scriptures. Because listen to me, I'll say it again. As a Berean from Acts chapter 17, guys, they listened to what Paul, the apostle Paul said, but then they went and tested it by searching the what? The scriptures for themselves. You're not gonna just take everything that I tell you at face value and, and, and accept it just because I said it. I want you to go and dig and challenge and read and study and don't be intellectually lazy to start this study. And then of course we have Other reasons why people avoid the book of Revelation is because of different views or what I call eschatological views or end time views. Let me give you an example. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Some people believe that all of prophecy has been fulfilled in history. That we're not waiting for anything to happen in the future. That's called preterism. If you're not familiar with it, it is a a pretty... Substantial view in the church. Some people believe that when you read the book of Daniel or you read Zechariah or even the book of Revelation, that it's all been fulfilled in the what? In the past. So if everything's already been fulfilled in the past, then why would we study it? No reason. Another thing is what I call the pre-tribulation perspective. Pre-tribulation rapture perspective says that the church isn't going to be here during the, the tribulation. If the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to chapter 19 describes the what? The great tribulation, and we're not going to be here, what's the point? I wouldn't study it. There's no point. If the church is out of the picture, then let's forget about it. And unfortunately, many people do forget about it, and they don't study it because of that viewpoint. Now, again, I'm not here to pick a fight or to start a, a, a debate or anything, but that's just the way that I approach Scripture. I think it matters, and I think that it, the Scriptures will, will reveal to us that it matters because we're going to be here, and we need to know what's coming so that we can be what? Prepared. Okay. Let me see what I got here. Now, anybody ever seen a map like this? A chart? Don't look at charts like this. 
it gives me a headache just looking at it. But this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about, okay? This is a more reasonable chart. I don't know if you can see that very well. Something much more simplistic, and I'm not even a big chart guy, but I like to simplify things. I think the Bible wants us to simplify things, so I don't want to confuse you. I want to bring clarity to you, okay? All right, I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I want to do this. Welcome back. So far, we have been given the reasons for studying biblical prophecy, Jesus' version of the end-time events, and a number of helpful strategies to use when trying to make sense of prophecy. Today, we will begin grouping similar pieces together by looking at another sequence of events preceding the return of the Lord. However, this time, they are written with symbols. Take a look at the screen. Okay, class, it's time to put on our detective hats. Buried in the pages of biblical prophecy, we find coded messages that are not just strange, but 100% true regarding the future. We find beasts with multiple heads and horns, a dragon, a lamb, flying scroll, and teetering statue. We see lions, leopards, and bears with an occasional swooping eagle. There are red, green, black, and white horses, iron scepters, and bronze mountains. On the surface, none of it makes sense. Well, not understanding the meaning of the symbols is like trying to read this. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the water that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. The dragon became enraged and went off to wage war against the rest of her other offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. Without having the key that reveals the meaning of each symbol, it doesn't make much sense. These messages are not science fiction, they're not mythical, but true, important messages about the future, given to us in advance for purpose. If only we knew the key to the code, well, thankfully, we've been given the key to the code. Our first clue. Hidden within scripture, we find the definitions of symbols opening up the plain meaning for the reader. Mountains are kingdoms or kings. Waters are peoples, multitudes, nations, and various languages. Beasts are empires. The dragon is Satan. Lamb is Jesus. Woman is it's Israel. Male child is also Jesus. Other offspring of Israel? <laughs> Those are Christians. So, let's read the passage again with the symbols decoded for us. When Satan saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued Israel, who had given birth to the Jesus. But the earth helped Israel by opening its mouth and swallowing the peoples and nations that Satan had spewed out of his mouth. Satan became enraged and went off to wage war against Christians, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. Makes much more sense now, doesn't it? Remember, although the symbols temporarily hide the meaning, the underlying message is always literal and true. All right. So I just wanted to show you guys that because... That's exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to the symbolic language of the book of Revelation. If you don't know the meaning of the symbols, it doesn't make sense. But the scripture provides the meaning of the symbols for us so that we can read it and make sense of it, right? 
And so uh, I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up because I have one more thing to share before we go. So we're going to close out one more song before we leave. But there's a special blessing and a special warning in the book of Revelation. This is unique to any other book in the Bible, and I just want to share them with you before we go. First of all, let's talk about the blessing. Listen to what it says in Revelation 1-3. Blessed is the one who reads what? Aloud. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Guys, what does that mean we should be doing over the next few weeks, months, and this year? Read the book of Revelation out loud. Listen to yourself. Read it out loud. Get around as a family. Share it with each other. Read it out loud together. Put on your Bible app and let it read it to you as you follow along. Why is it important that we read the Bible out loud? Because in Romans 10, it says faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There's something significant to us actually hearing the audible spoken word of God, specifically here in the book of Revelation. You will receive a special blessing, guys. This This is unique to the book of Revelation. You will receive a special blessing if you read the words of this prophecy out loud. But don't stop there. We, we, you're also blessed if you hear the word. And then, of course, we're blessed if we what? Keep it. What does that mean? Do what it says. Don't be hearers of the word only, but what? But doers. And so that's always going to be unique to the Bible, but also specifically to the book of Revelation. And then look at the very last chapter in Revelation as I close. Revelation, let's see where we are. Look at verse 18. Revelation 22, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. So there's a special blessing, but there's also a special what? Warning. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Guys, that is a serious warning. In other words, listen to me. Don't mess with God's word. Don't add to it or take away from it. Now, we are tasked with interpreting that. And in the the times when I don't know the answer, or I'll give you a couple of different Uh, perspectives, I'll do my best to say, hey guys, I don't know the exact answer, but this is kind of where I stand and this is why I believe the way that I do. But there are certain things in the book that are cut and dry and clear and they're they're not up for, uh, for discussion. And those are the things that we have to stand on as the truth of God's word. And so there's a special blessing, there's a special warning, and then here's what I want you to take away with for the day. You ready? We need to begin praying for ears to hear. We need to begin praying for ears to hear wisdom and understanding, guys. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Number two, it's time for us to really re-examine and affirm our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's to, look, if you're, if you're in church today and you've been playing games with God, it's, that, that, that time's over with, guys. It's, it's time to, there's a separation taking place in the body of Christ. It's called the separation of the wheat from the tares. Okay, it's time, it's time, guys. It's time to quit playing games with God. If you're here and you're playing games with God, it's time to give your life to Jesus, examine your relationship with Jesus Christ, and get real. Get real with God, and it's time to get on board with him and get on mission with him. Okay, very important that we understand that. Amen. Do not be given over to a spirit of fear. Who wins in the end? Jesus wins. All right, here's your homework for next week. Read chapter 1 out loud as many times as you can. Take good notes. And guys, you do need to start keeping up with what's going on in the world around you. And I'm not going to get into that today because there's so much that we could talk about. But main thing right now, pray, examine your heart, reaffirm your relationship with Jesus Christ, begin to read the book of Revelation, take good notes, and just have a willing spirit. Just have a willing spirit to learn and to grow, okay? And then as we go, guys, here's the beautiful thing about the book of Revelation. There are people out there all around us who don't know what in the world is happening. But who does? We do. It's time we start telling them. It's time we start telling them what's happening. Amen? All right, we're going to sing one more song before we go. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you so much for giving us this amazing book, this prophecy. 
And thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives us the interpretation of this prophecy. And thank you for the Bible in general that that gives us the answers to some of these difficult, mysterious questions in the scriptures. And thank you for a church family that we can journey through life together, Lord. But the biggest thing, Lord, is that we can't just be hearers of the word only, Lord. But you've called us to keep the word, to do it, to put it into practice. So, Father, as we go out into the world today, may we be your witnesses and look for those opportunities, Lord, as people are talking about COVID or the economic crisis or or the government upheaval or all the different things that are happening in our culture today, Lord. Help us to find those as opportunities to step in and say, hey, we have the answers to what has happened. Yes, there is coming a time of difficulty upon the earth, Lord, but we know that you ultimately will come to redeem and save those who belong to you. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your people would be prepared to face what's coming, to have faith and not fear, and, Lord, that we would continue to be your witnesses in this generation. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. And all God's people say